Well, amen. That's exactly what we pray for is that dry bones will come alive this morning. Well, um, as already indicated, school starts this week for most in this room. There's a few in here that will, won't begin until um, next week, college starting. I know that kids are being transported even today um, to, to check into their dorms, and, and it's just a busy time of the year, isn't it? I love this time of the year, not because my kids go back to school, but I love this time of the year because it means that things are starting to pick back up. Um, football season is is upon us. Um, from a church standpoint, we're we're about to get started with the Wanas. We're about to get started with Bible drill again. Um, we're about to enter into a new sermon series um, in September. That's going to be on um, our purpose and our vision and our reach as a church. And so I'm excited what the Lord has in store for us over the next um, several months. But this morning, what we're doing is we are continuing our sermon series on David. Okay, we have been looking at this man whose heart was described as being a heart after God, as having a heart after God. Now, we looked at last week um, David's humanity on full display. We looked at his, his affair with Uriah's wife Bathsheba. Now, this morning, we are continuing um, the second part of that message. And we left last week with, with this verse, 2 Samuel eleven twenty seven. The last um, sentence of that chapter and verse said, But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. God was displeased with what David had done. I can't think of a of 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 a worse statement than that one to have described about my life. But that is how God described David at this particular time in David's life. So last week we looked at David's humanity on full display. Now this morning we're going to look at David's brokenness on full display. So if you have your Bibles this morning, turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 12. We're going to begin looking at verse 1, and we're not going to cover this entire chapter um, this morning, so I do want to encourage you when we're done today to go home, read this chapter, read it in, in, in its entirety, but we're going to cover much of it today. But here's, here's what our first point this morning is. is. Is this Nathan confronts David? Now we know that David's sin displeased the Lord. We also know that David had hardened his heart to the Lord, and we see that in the very first verses of Second Samuel chapter twelve. So read with me, beginning of verse one. These are the words of the Lord, and the Lord sent to Nathan, David, and the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him. There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had brought, and he brought it up, and it grew up with him and with his children. It used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. 
Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come. Notice the first thing this morning, it is this, sin destroys. We know that sin destroys, right? But sometimes we have to be reminded of this. Since David was not listening to the Lord, the Lord sent the prophet Nathan to him to get his attention. Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever had someone in your life come to you to get your attention? Maybe you had committed a sin. Maybe you had done something wrong at work or at home or whatever. And there was a Nathan that came into your life and got all up in your face and pointed out the wrong that you had done. Maybe you haven't had a Nathan come to you, but you've been a Nathan to somebody else. You've gone to someone that has done wrong, and you have called them out for the wrong that they have done. Sometimes in life, we need Nathans. Sometimes in life, we need to be a Nathan. In this particular case this morning, David needed a Nathan because David had hardened his heart to the Lord and was not listening to the Lord. This morning we see a story, a parable of a rich man taking advantage of a poor man. This rich man um, had an abundance of lambs, okay? He had an abundance of flocks. But notice what this man did. He went to this poor man who had one little ewe lamb. I mean, think about that ewe lamb, okay? This lamb was part of the family. It ate from the master's hand. It played with the master's children. It laid in the master's arms. It was an integral part of this family. And then you have this rich man that comes along who has more than enough, but he takes a liking to that that little lamb. And he steals that lamb from that rich man's arms, And he takes that lamb home, he slaughters that lamb, and he provides it as a meal for his guest. When David hears this story, David is livid. David is all kinds of upset, and he is ready to inflict justice upon that rich man. Notice here, sin does not just destroy, but sin also deceives In verses 5 and 6 we read, Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Translated, David is hacked off. David is all kinds of mad, and he wants justice. Not only does he want um, to, to, to see this man put to death, but he wants that, poor, that rich man, before that man is put to death, to restore to that poor man fourfold what had been taken from him. Isn't it amazing that a man who was so quick to excuse sin from his own life was so quick to recognize sin in another person's life. That's usually how it goes, isn't it? Notice what happens next. David realizes that he is the man Nathan is describing. So David's sin is discovered. In verse 7, we read these words. Nathan said to David, you are the man. 
I can imagine for David. You know, I was trying to think of a, a good picture here, and the only thing I could think of is maybe something out of a Hollywood movie. Have you ever watched a movie when you see um, all of these sins within the recesses of a person's mind, and all of a sudden on the screen, they just all just flood onto the screen? I can just imagine that that is what happened to David. All of a sudden, he realizes that he is a man, and all of a sudden, these flood, this flood of emotions comes to the front of his mind, and he's reminded of what he had done. Remember, we looked at last week, David and Bathsheba probably thought they had gotten away with the greatest cover-up in humanity's history. They, they hid their affair from everyone. They were able to hide Bathsheba's pregnancy from everyone. They were able to to silence Uriah, the only one that that could have exposed their sin. They thought they probably got away with all of these things, and they were going to be able to live the all-Israeli dream going forward. But that is not what happened. In Numbers 32, 23, we were reminded of this. But if you will not do so, behold, you have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. That is true, isn't it? Our sin will always find us out. It will always catch up with us. And in Hebrews 4.13, we read these words, And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. We may have successfully hidden our sins from our family or from our spouse or from our church or from our kids or our coworkers or employees, but make no mistake about it, our sin is never nor will it ever be hidden from God. Our lives are in full display for God to see it every moment of every day. And I think that's important for us to remember as we pursue righteousness, as we pursue holiness, as we pursue God on a daily basis, we have the master, our creator, God the Father, that is looking down upon us. And he sees every good thing that we do. And he leads us in every good way. But he also sees the bad that we do because our lives are on full display before him. Just like David and Bathsheba's were, ours are as well. Notice next, Nathan reminds David of all of God's blessings upon his life. We read in, in verse 7, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. And I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would add you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Think about the enormity of God's blessings upon David. The Lord had chosen him. The Lord had anointed him. The Lord had saved him. The Lord had given him the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Lord had blessed him. The Lord had given him anything and everything that he possibly could want. 
And we also see that, that the Lord elevated David to king over Israel and over Judah. And the Lord indicates to David that he would have given him more if he would have only asked. What a sad story this is. So Nathan confronted David with the word of the Lord, and now David will receive his sentence from the Lord. Notice the result of David's sin. In verses 10 through 12, we read these words. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from him, your house, because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house. And I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. And he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. For you did it secretly, but I will do this same before all Israel and before the son. David's life and his kingdom and his world would be turned upside down because of his sinfulness. Notice sin's effect. David would never experience peace again. He would be a man of war. His house would be a place of war. Israel would always be at war. In Galatians 6, 7, we read these words, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. When you and I sow, sow sin, we will reap sin. We will reap the consequences of that sin. When you and I sow God's word, we will reap the fruit of God's word. I came across this story of a father who, who sought to get his son's attention. His son was a pathological liar, and, and he lied about everything. And his dad was fed up with this boy's lies. And so the dad told the little boy, for every lie you tell me or say in general, I want you to take a nail and go out to that fence post in the backyard, and I want you to nail that nail to that fence post. And so the little boy, every time he told a lie, he would grab a new nail, and he'd go out to that post, and he would nail it to it. Before long, the, boy, the, the post was completely full of nails, and the boy was broken because of the sight of all of those nails in that post. And so the little boy goes up to his father, and he said, he said, Father, I'm sorry. I've lied, and I want to make it right. And so the father praised his son for wanting to get his life on the right track. And the father said, for every truth you tell, I'll remove a nail from that board. And so the boy, all of a sudden, he made an about face, and he began to tell the truth. And before long, every single one of those nails had been taken out of that post. And, and one day he saw the little boy out by that post sitting on the ground just crying up a storm. And the, little dad, or the dad went up to the little boy and said, son, what's wrong? All of the nails are gone from the post. And the little boy said, they're gone, but the marks from the nails are still in that post. That is the effect of our sin. Yes, we can be forgiven of our sins, and we will be forgiven for our sins. God's Word makes it abundantly clear that He'll take our sin and cast it as far as the east is from the west and remember it no more. But there are still consequences for our sin, aren't there? 
I know that many of you in this room, you've done prison ministry over the years. I've had the opportunity to go into a few prisons or, or jailhouses, county um, courthouses, and I've had the opportunity to share the gospel with men. And I've had the opportunity to also see some of the men trust the Lord as their Savior. And all of a sudden, man, they are set free. Man, they are no longer held in bondage to their sin. They are free in the eyes of God. But guess what? In the eyes of man, they're not free, are they? They have to still face the consequences for their sin. They've got to finish out their sentence unless they are commuted or pardoned. Well, in our story this morning, we know that David was forgiven for his sin. But there were still effects from that sin. Notice our next sub-point, it's this, sin's reach. Our sin does not just affect us, but those around us as well. For David, his moment of weakness would forever change him, his family, and his kingdom. Because David had seen to it that Uriah would be put to death, would see a violent end. Scripture makes it clear. The Lord made it clear that violence would never leave David's house. In fact, one writer wrote these words, David's sin affected his family more than it did anyone else. After all the smoke had cleared, he had four dead sons, a kingdom in shambles, disgraced wives, a tarnished reputation, a disgraced daughter, and a trusted counselor dead. Among other things, even though it was David who sinned, his sin still impacted people that were totally innocent. Notice next. Notice David confesses his sin. Folks, all of us in this room have made mistakes, haven't we? Every single one of us in this room have. Some of our sins have been laid bare before the eyes of the Lord only. Some of our sins, though, have been laid bare before the world to see like David's. Regardless of how big of a ripple our sin has made, there is one thing that all of us must do when we do sin and fall short of God's glory. It is repent of that sin and ask the Lord to forgive us of that sin. Remember, this story, this sermon series is not just about all of the things that David did wrong, okay? This man after God's own heart, it seems like more and more of these sermons have been about what David has done wrong than anything else. But it's not just about what David did wrong. It's also about what David did right. It's not just a, 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 a sermon series or scripture about David's failures. It's also a story about God's glorious grace. Because God is a God of grace, isn't he? Man, all of us deserve to be punished for our sins. But Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death. What you and I deserve is death. But God's glorious grace, by his glorious grace, all of us who call upon Jesus to forgive us of our sins and acknowledge him as Lord and Savior of our life can and will be saved. Notice next, in 2 Samuel 12.13, we read these words. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. So the first thing we see here is David repents. He says, I have sinned against the Lord. I love this about David. David owned his sin, didn't he? He made it clear that he and he alone had sinned. 
He didn't begin to blame other people. He didn't begin to rationalize or justify his sinfulness. He didn't say, Lord, if Bathsheba wouldn't have been out on that housetop, I would have never looked down upon her in sin. He didn't do that, did he? He said, I and I alone have sinned. You know, how many of you have ever played the blame game? All of us have, right? Okay, if you were a kid, you have played the blame game, am I right? You have pointed your finger at a sibling and said, it wasn't me, it was them. Or they made me do it. Or I did it because they did it. Well, if they were going to jump off a cliff, would you jump off a cliff? No. Caitlin's back there, yeah. That's Danny's daughter right there, okay? I just want you all to know that, all right? Adam and Eve, okay, they played the blame game, didn't they? You realize that Adam played the victim within this story, right? He started the blame game. In in Genesis 3.12, we read these words, the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. Do you see what Adam has done here? He blamed Eve for his offense. She gave me the fruit. And notice also what Adam did there. He blamed God, didn't he? This woman that you gave to me, the audacity of that man. The blame game continues. When pressed by God, Eve says this, the serpent deceived me and I ate. That snake over there caused me to sin. Since the beginning of time, this game has been set into motion and it will continue until the Lord Jesus Christ returns. All of us have played that blame game. But here, David doesn't play the blame game. He owns his sin. He said, I have sinned against the Lord. And we're about to walk, um, we're still going to look at some effects of David's sin and the consequences of his sin, but also want us to look at the restoration that begins to happen within David's life. In Psalm 51, verses 1 through 4, these are, this is a passage of Scripture that David wrote um, in response to his sin. Okay, we read these words. He cries out to the Lord. He says, have mercy on me. O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgression. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. David was broken because of his sin, but he was also repentant. Do you know what the word repentance means? Definition is this. Repentance is a change of mind that results in a change of action. When you and I recognize our sin, what does it drive us to do? It's to drive us to change direction, to change our course, and to make an about face and to run from that sin and run toward God. That is a picture of what repentance is. So we see David's 
David repents, and notice next, David is restored. In verse 13, again, we read, David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. God's forgiveness was immediate. God did not demand that David do something before his sins would be forgiven or before he would be restored in his sight. He was forgiven of his sin immediately. Not only was he forgiven for his sin, but he was also pardoned as a result of his sin. The Mosaic law demanded that that a person that was caught in adultery, they were supposed to be put to death. So David deserved to die for his affair. Bathsheba deserved to die for her affair. Uriah died as a result of their affair. The only person innocent in our story this morning is the one that is dead. Isn't that how life goes? Isn't that how our sin is? It usually affects the innocent more than it does anyone else. They are the ones that suffer the most. A child of divorce or a spouse of an adulterer, or the investor whose money was embezzled, or the employee that works for the employer who's abusive, or whatever. Notice our last point this morning. It's this, sin's consequences. In 2 Samuel 12, 14, we read these words, Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. Now, I'm going to tell you now that this has always been one of the most difficult verses in all of God's Word for me to read. The Lord forgave David of his sin, no question about it. However, the Lord did not shield him from the consequences of his sin. Notice that the consequences of David's sin, they were profound. For David... And Bathsheba, their child that was born to them, would be put to death. Why do the innocent have to suffer because of the sin of the guilty? I don't have an answer other than this. We know that because of that first sin in the garden, it set off a tsunami of a ripple that is still destroying everything in its wake today. And it will continue to destroy everything until the Lord Jesus Christ returns. Ultimately, David would lose at least four of his sons because of his sin. The youngest being the child born as a result of the affair. Here's what we do know this morning. The death of David's child was a result of David's sin. This child did nothing wrong, but David did. And he had to suffer the consequences. Now, here's what I want to say about this. That child, yes, he was born into a world of sin and brokenness. Yes, according to us, that child should not have died. But understand this. That child would not have to live in a world where he would be shamed because of the sin of his parents. That child, that unnamed child, that died before its eighth birthday, 
at the moment he closed his eyes and took his final breath on this side of eternity, he was ushered into the glorious presence of the Lord. That we can be certain of this morning. That child, when it did and when it was taken home by God the Father, that child in a moment, in a split moment, was in the presence of the Lord. So sin's consequences are profound. They are also permanent. The consequences of David's sin meant death of his sons and trouble within his home. But in addition, it meant that his sin would be put on full display for all of the world to see. From the moment that it was brought to the light until the moment that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to return, this message is probably preached every single week somewhere around this world. David's sins were put on full display. Tragic is what this story is. Notice also we see the pain that comes as a result of our sin. David was a broken man, and we read of that in verses 15 through 18. It says this, And Nathan went to his house, and the Lord afflicted the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, and he became sick. David therefore sought God on behalf of the child, and David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. And the elders of his house stood beside him to raise him from the ground, but he would not, nor did he eat food with them. On the seventh day, the child died, and the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead. For they said, Behold, while the child was yet alive, we spoke to him, and he did not listen to us. How then can we say to him, The child is dead? He may do himself some harm. David prayed. And David fasted. Know that our prayers and our fastings do not always change the mind of God. Prayer and fasting put David in the right place to receive from God what God wanted David to receive. But it did not force God to change his mind. We pray and we fast and we plead, not just out of desperation, but we pray And we fast and we plead out of radical submission to God the Father. Because we want to see God do something miraculous in our lives and within the lives of others. We don't do it so that we can change the mind of God. We do it so that God can intervene within our lives. David experienced great pain because of his sin. But he also experienced a great cleansing as a result of his confession. You may this morning find yourself in need of confession, in need of confessing a sin or sins that have kept you from walking intimately with with the Lord. In Psalm 51, David would go on to write these words. In verses 7 through 12, notice these words that David pens as he has experienced God's forgiveness in his own life. He says, purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. 
Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. As a result of David's repentance, he would experience cleansing in four different ways. Brian Bill shared these things. He, he speaks of rejoicing. When you're burning up time and energy covering up your sin, joy is sucked out of your life, right? So David experienced rejoicing. He prayed for joy and gladness to be restored to him. We also see that David experienced renewal. David knows that not only does he need forgiveness, but he also needs a brand new heart and a brand new spirit. He prays to the Lord, renew a spirit within me. Renew a right spirit within me. David also reconnects with the Lord. When we live in sin, we can sit distance with God. David longs to reconnect and experience closeness once again with the Lord. I mean, think about David, okay? At the beginning of our story, David had a hard heart, didn't he? That's why Nathan had to go to him and to help him realize his sinfulness. Sometimes when we sin, we harden our heart and we become distant from God. And we need to reconnect to God. And that's what happens when we ask him to forgive us of our sins. So David prayed that God would not cast him aside. And David also would be restored. David wants to have the joy of his salvation back. And he also longs for God to tenderize his spirit so that he will be quick to obey. May you and I find ourselves experiencing what David experienced in his own life. Freedom. Ultimately, at the end of our story, that is what David was able to experience. Yes, there was a wake that was left behind. Yes, David would live with the consequence of all of the days of his life. But you know what was restored? The most important thing, his relationship with the Lord. Yes, we mess up. Yes, we fail. Yes, we leave behind a wake that affects many, many people. But what is important is this, is our restored relationship with God the Father. If you are here this morning and, and you have been battling, um, experiencing God's forgiveness and accepting his forgiveness, I want to challenge you this morning to know this. Okay, first, know that God will forgive you if you ask him to forgive you. But it's also important for you to accept his forgiveness. You may be living with the regret of a past sin that you have never dealt with. You and God have never dealt with it. Today may be the day that you need to deal with that. In closing this morning, let me just challenge all of us in this room, okay? Be a Nathan in another person's life, okay? There are people all around us that are hurting. There are people all around us that are broken. And there are people that, 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 that are in need of a Nathan to come to them to help them with maybe a particular sin that they are dealing with. Okay? Also, if you need a Nathan in your life, pray for a Nathan to come. You come to me, I'll be a Nathan, an unjudgmental Nathan for you. Because we need that in our lives. We need people that are going to hold us accountable. Own your sin. 
confess your sin, and get right with God and on the other side of that sin. You may think this morning that the sins that I've committed are unforgivable. There's no way God can forgive me for what I've done because it's too gruesome. The wake that I've left behind because of my sin are too great. But I want you to know this morning that David could be forgiven and Bathsheba could be forgiven for their affair and subsequent murder of Uriah, you can be forgiven. If the Apostle Paul, who was a blasphemer, a persecutor, a murderer, could be forgiven of his sin, so can all of us in this room. We serve an awesome, amazing God that is quick to forgive. And even better than quick to forgive, he's quick to forget as well. He'll take our sin and remove them as far as the east is from the west. He will forgive us and he will restore us. This morning as we close out our time together, let me ask you this. Is there a decision that you need to make this morning? Have you been dealing with, and we looked at this a little bit last week as well, have you been dealing with a sin in your life that, that you haven't been listening to God about? Now open up your heart this morning and listen. Have you been dealing with a sin for months or years that God's already, already forgiven and promised you that he's forgiven, but you haven't accepted his forgiveness? Accept God's forgiveness this morning because until you accept it, you're not going to be able to get on the other side of it and begin to live your life. You may be here this morning and you don't have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. You've never asked God to forgive you of any of your sin. And this morning, let me invite you to do that. The Bible says that if you call upon the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. If you're here this morning, you've never called upon the Lord to save you, forgive you of your sins and you never acknowledge him to be your Lord and Savior of your life, let me invite you this morning to make the greatest decision that you could ever make. Let's stand together. I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer. If there's a decision you need to make, when I say amen, you come. Father God, we come before you now, Lord Jesus, just thanking you for this morning. Thanking you for your word, Lord. Father, there are times, Father, when it is just hard, Father, to preach your word. It is hard, Lord Jesus, to receive your word because your word, Lord Jesus, it is convicting. Your word pierces like a knife. But Father, your word also restores us. It sets us free. It restores to us joy. It restores to us gladness. It restores our relationship with you and reveals to us how that can happen. Father, I don't know what decision needs to be made this morning in this room, but I know that you do, Lord. And I pray that every single one of us in this room, Lord, me included, will be sensitive to your spirit right now and listen to you. And Father, if there's a sin that we need to confess, may we do that. If, if there's something that we haven't ever really accepted your forgiveness for, may we do that this morning. Father, if there's someone that doesn't have a relationship with you, draw them unto yourself this morning. Just move now during this time of invitation. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.